0: Hello, my name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set
1: Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, best selling novelist of tales both tawdry and terrifying. And the thing about Story Smack, it's my sister and my <laughs> daughter.
0: <laughs> and this is the 29th episode of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Yes, Scott kicked off this episode with a major spoiler for the movie Chinatown. But considering the movie is an absolute classic mm-hmm. and it is 43 years yes. old, yes. that's not exactly a movie spoiler faux pas. Yep. After the episode, we're going to add a new feature. It's our One Cool Thing. We've stolen this from the
1: amazing Script Notes podcast. One of the few podcasts where I listen to every episode. If you are a screenwriter or a storyteller, uh, check it out at johnaugust.com slash scriptnotes. Now, um, we are actually in uh, Empty Set Studios North today.
0: Uh, we are. Yes, yes, we are. Interesting. Yes. Yeah.
1: So we're not, we don't have the the plush, sound, tricked out studio layer of doom. Yeah. We are at a, a kitchen table. Yeah. At your joint. We are. And uh, we're going to record here. So if you hear any difference <laughs> in sound quality, this is our mobile rig. Yeah. It's still pretty gosh darn good.
0: I think the sound quality is good, but I think the room is quite a lot shinier. The room's
1: much, much shinier. So... Many film buffs, screenwriters, producers, producers, and other movie glitterati considered Chinatown to be the perfect screenplay. It is a fixture on top 10 screenplay lists, and its influence has persisted for four decades, man.
0: Yeah, Chinatown was nominated for 11 Academy Awards in 1974, winning for Best Original Screenplay for author Robert Town. In 1971, Robert Evans originally offered Town $175,000 to write a screenplay for The Great Gatsby. In today's dollars, that would be 875K. A lot of cheese. Town came back with a different idea, asking for only $25,000, which is 125 grand uh, by these today's Mm -hmm. standards, Mm -hmm. to write his own story, which was Chinatown.
1: Uh, Town has written. Uh, films such as Tequila Sunrise and I see Days of Thunder, The Two Jakes, which was the 1990 sequel to Chinatown. And of course he wrote Mission Impossible 1 and 2. And Chinatown
0: is loaded with talent. Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway, nominated for Best Actor and Best Actress, for the 1974 Academy Mm -hmm. Awards. It was nominated for best picture and it landed a best director nom for Roman Polanski.
1: And Polanski is of course a very controversial figure in the world of movies in 1970 when he was 43, the same age as movie is right now. uh, uh, Coincidentally, he became embroiled in a scandal involving 13 year old Samantha Jane Gailey. Polanski was charged with this wonderful laundry list of good goodness, rape by use of drugs, Perversion, sodomy, lewd and lascivious acts upon a child under fourteen, and furnishing a controlled substance to a minor. To a minor, excuse me. In exchange for those charges being dropped, Polanski made a plea bargain and pled guilty to a different charge of unlawful, unlawful sexual intercourse with a minor.
0: Yeah, the deal was supposed to keep Polanski out of jail, but when he heard the judge was going to send him to jail anyway. This fine stand-up guy <laughs> fled to England and then eventually <laughs> to Paris. Polanski is now a citizen of France, mm-hmm. and his—or maybe was—he was, yeah. was then, yeah. And so, France's extradition treaty with the U.S. Uh, states that France can choose not to, to extradite French citizens. Mm-hmm. Polanski has spent the years since in Europe, mostly avoiding countries with extradition treaties to the U.S.
1: You can look that up. Just go look up Roman Polanski in Wikipedia. It's got a full litany of this uh, quite tawdry and fascinating process. Um, But our, so our choosing to use Chinatown for Story Smacked because of Polanski rubs some people the wrong way. And I believe I have lost uh, fans because of it. What do you you think of that, man?
0: Well, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like the the argument that was made um, is that by even watching Chinatown, just by watching it, Mm Uh, we are somehow supporting Rowan Polanski, who is a convicted pedophile.
1: Yeah, that was the insinuation. We are supporting pedophilia yeah. by talking about this movie.
0: But here's the thing. it Things are changing. You know, th- these are the days where somebody is, you know, somebody is listening to now more than ever before. Mm. And we've had the Bill Cosby thing recently that people actually listen to and right at this very minute there's a whole Harvey Weinstein thing and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. And if people are listening and people are starting to be heard, I can see the idea that shedding light on Chinatown instead of letting it die a fiery death uh, is shedding light on Roman Polanski. And, you know, I respect, I I don't necessarily think it's that easy Mm -hmm. uh, because of course we just mentioned Roman Polanski four times. So I respect that I, the, the, certainly whatever decision anybody wants to make. But for me, it's, it's, it's not as easy as all that.
1: It's not as easy. And I, of course, I'm not a big fan of the shame brigade, you know, the, let's, let's, <clears throat> here's an, uh, here's a, a topic I don't want you to speak about. So I will shame you into not speaking about it ever. And that was uh, some of the approach that came out of this and, and people by and large thinking that any mention of Roman Polanski is somehow, somehow supporting endorsing celebrating pedophilia that's just ludicrous that's yeah, absolutely ridiculous it,
0: and i think that that's ridiculous too i think the actual um the actual idea is not just saying his name but but celebrating Chinatown, which he Mm -hmm. directed. I think that was the idea. But, you know, it's interesting for us. We've done this. uh, Bear with me for just a second. But a lot of times when you're on a book tour, people ask you, uh, you know, are they going to make Infected into a movie? But don't let them change anything about Perry. Don't let Mm -hmm. them change. you. Just make sure you don't (laughs) let them change Perry Dossie. And your standard answer is if they want to make Perry Dossie a seven-year-old girl, but they're going to make my movie. Mm -hmm. Because it takes so much to get a movie made. Correct. And so the people who worked, who aren't Roman Polanski, who worked on Chinatown, number of in people. the hundreds. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. So for us, uh, spending a lot of time kind of learning this industry and learning by bumbling along, mm-hmm. it seems like that comes that conversation is a little more complex because what about all the hundreds of other people who worked on that movie? Right,
1: like like Jack Nicholson, for example, who didn't, yeah. oh. didn't do anything wrong, per se, and like, it had nothing to do with what's going on with Roman Polanski, although, ironically, he did go down at Jack's house. Jack was in Europe at the time.
0: Yeah. And there's a
1: whole... The, we won't get into that whole story, but so Jack Nicholson, this film kind of launches him,
0: doesn't it? Yeah. I, he had done Carnal Knowledge, Five Easy Pieces, which is, if if anybody has not seen Five Easy Pieces and is at all a Nicholson fan. Oh, I've never should, seen it. You should watch okay. Five okay. Easy Pieces. Okay. If, I, I think you should watch Five Easy Pieces and The Last Detail. Uh, they're very, very early Nicholson. So Chinatown kind of sort of makes him, and right, I think right after that, he does One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and that just launches him into the stratosphere. Yeah. But uh, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't Jack, he, he wasn't a nobody, but he wasn't Jack Nicholson. This movie movie made
1: him Jack Nicholson.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, you know, he did, he did collaborate on finding the screenplay with Roman Polanski, it said, Mm -hmm. and that they were looking for the right project together. And so clearly he had some chops and he had had some, and obviously he's a powerhouse talent.
1: So and as you said, after this, he did one Flew over the cuckoo's nest. He did the shining, uh, he did terms of endearment and of course, His amazing work as the Joker in Batman.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one example of the amazing, amazing talent. But uh, this episode was meant, always meant to focus on the screenplay. Mm -hmm. And so this is your spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this 43-year-old classic (laughs) movie, we're going to talk all about it. So turn it off if you don't want to get spoiled. Now. FDO. Yes. Why is this considered one of the greatest screenplays ever written?
1: Well, as a student of the screenplay game, ma'am, uh, I will tell you. Because it's a hard science with uh, <laughs> definitive definitive facts that cannot be argued You do with. like the
0: 101 and then the 200 yes, level. Yeah, yes. I get it. Uh,
1: oh. We're actually going to put a link to the screenplay. It's available online in a browser for free. And we will put that link in the show notes at scottsigler.com slash podcast slash Chinatown. It's particularly fun to watch the movie with the screenplay in front of you, because although this is called by some people a "quote unquote" perfect screenplay, uh, there are some significant changes and drop scenes in the screen. As the screenplay was 180 pages long, which yeah, is very well. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and that, that's why they're that's the thing about this, though. That's why they're saying it's a perfect script. Mm-hmm. right but there's also I, i'm not really <clears throat> sure when you watch it with the script when mm-hmm. you watch the movie with the script sometimes i can't tell if it was an editing decision that there's things missing yeah or if it was a daily so they ran it it didn't quite play in peoria so they cut it changed the words gave them blue page R- and then, went on it yeah
1: and it's it's really the subtle the subtle changes are what i found mesmerizing just to you know the vast majority of the, the text there, 90 to 95% of it is read as is, but you'll see scenes like in the dinner scene with uh, John Huston and Jack Nicholson, uh, the lunch scene, excuse me. Um, it uh, it really, it's interesting to see with the actor's changing, just a little thing here, a little thing there. So another reason this is considered to be one of the great screenplays is two long-lasting and influential screenwriting books are Sid Field screenplay, which I have read, Robert mm-hmm. McKee's story, which I have not. In both books, the author put Chinatown up on a pedestal as one of, if not the best. So right out of the gate, you have two, book, two books that many active and aspiring screenwriters have read. And these books are decades old, so a lot of people read them. And in these treasured tomes, it states that Chinatown is the best screenplay ever. A.K., is this, is this confirmation bias? Uh, it- I mean, maybe. Of course, maybe it is confirmation bias. The
0: more you get told something is fantastic, the more you want to think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I call that the Saving pri- Private Ryan syndrome, hmm. because so many people told me, "Oh my God, the best movie had the, that I've seen in the last decade." Okay. And I okay. was working and going through finals, so I didn't get to watch it for like six weeks. And mm-hmm. by the time I saw it, I was like, "I mean, this is really the, the best I was so over it, you know. <laughs> so there may be some
1: confirmation bias, but
0: nonetheless your your
1: your dismissive voice sounds a, like Admiral Akbar is saying it's like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well okay but and I'll give you a tiny aside I participated as a screenwriter in the very first Project Greenlight Oh cool and um, once you submitted it, it was the crowdsourcing,
1: Mm -hmm. whatever. And, 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 um, Oh wait, people might not know. So project Greenlight was, it was a Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, and Matt Damon project. Um, early days, early ish days of the internet where you could, excuse me, submit a screenplay. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you had to read other people's screenplays. Yeah.
0: It was a crowdsourcing thing. So to, you could submit it. And if it, I don't quite remember, but there was some, somebody looked at it to make sure it wasn't a thousand monkeys on a thousand typewriters, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it was actually a screenplay. And then once you got through the only way that your screenplay got seen is if you read other scripts, so you had to read a minimum of three, but you could read more if you wanted to. Sure. And, and it was actually great. I wrote a terrible, terrible, terrible rom rom com. Okay. Uh, but I met a lot of, uh, there, there was a way to kind of get together with a critique you could make your own little critique group by people who were in your same, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: your, your same class, I guess. And, uh, it was interesting. That was pretty interesting. I met a lot of, uh, people who wanted to tell a good story and then (laughs) tried super hard to tell a good story and then just told a shitty story. That was (laughs) sort of me. So anyway, um, nonetheless, in that expert opinion, I will say, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who think this was a damn good screenplay and it's an Oscar winning screenplay.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, I'm not sure that we can say that's confirmation bias or that's just, it deserves what it
1: gets. And there's a couple other reasons that I think this screenplay is held up as a pinnacle of the craft. And I think it's the overall structure is the primary thing. Um, right out of the gate, it subtly establishes great characters. It uses excellent Excellent, sparse dialogue. Mm-hmm. It lets the actors do what actors do. It doesn't hit you over the nose with all these facts. It doesn't give you a bunch. Of, it it gives you only what you need to know about these characters. And then we're watching Jack Nicholson as Jake Giddey's, uh, the main character. Totally in control of his world, he's the he's the king of his domain. He yeah, is, and he's, it's
0: very on purpose. It's very Chandler-esque, Raymond Chandler-esque, mm-hmm. and so he's absolutely the the noir
1: star. He's the sure. noir star, and then it goes off on a crazy right turn when Jake finds out he's been had. It's the plot twist of a fake Mrs. Mulray, a character in the movie, hiring Jake to get the dirt on the real Mr. Mulray, uh, and it's a really clever idea. It totally puts the story into motion. The other thing that the screenplay is famous for is the slow play of the titular Chinatown. In Los Angeles. For sure. We gradually, very gradually come to learn that Giddes was a cop in Chinatown and it's a blinker you miss it. A blink. I don't keep hammering on it. It's like one quick line is all you get. Right. And he got out of the police biz because he tried to help a woman and in doing so wound up getting that woman killed. And all of that, the Chinatown, everything comes to a super tight close in just the only the last few minutes of the movie where they're in China. The only scene in Chinatown is at the end of the movie. They've said frequently things don't make sense in Chinatown. And in this new iteration of him, he's tried very hard to help a woman, and it is his act of helping that winds up getting her killed. Mm -hmm. So the symmetrical structure of the story and the slow play and that powerful sense of finality, I think, are the biggest reasons that this script is hailed as genius.
0: (laughs) With that, I think let's do that voodoo that we do so well. Let's go through our discussions and reactions to the movie and the screenplay as we watched it.
1: All right. Hold on. Let me call up my notes on the movie. Oops. Chinatown notes. All Boom.
0: Right down to Chinatown.
1: So right out of the gate, we get we're gonna go back to talking about that first scene. Uh Jake is giving Miss Evelyn Mulray a chance to walk away. She comes in saying, If we've we established that Jake's one of Jake's skills, if not his primary skill, is catching people fooling around on their significant other.
0: Yeah, that's not what he wants to do but that's what it turns that's out what he's good the at. He pays money.
1: He's good at that. So Miss Evelyn Mulray comes in and Jake finds out, "Oh, uh, the Mulray, the famous director of the water department, Mulray." So super rich cat, he's excited. She comes in and she wants to wants to she knows he's cheating and she wants to uh, cuz a wife knows. A wife knows. Right. And he you you don't know whether this is a character setup or a genuine thing, but he's like, "Mrs. Mulray, my advice to you is forget all about this and go home. You Do you don't love want to your know. husband? Right. You don't I, want I to love
0: know. that scene so much yeah. because I imagine, uh, uh, you know, everybody goes through rough stuff in their life. I yeah. go, you know, I recently got divorced. I sort of, I I feel differently now about a handful of things than I felt before I knew I was getting divorced, and um, and that's what I think he he literally has he's seen somebody get exactly the information they asked for. And it was actually the moment they got confirmation that ruined their life. Yeah. Not the cheating they suspected, but him doing his job. So he's literally saying like, dude, I, I, I have been there. I promise you.
1: This is, you don't want to know this.
0: And Nicholson is so talented at that moment. He is, is genuinely pleading, but he's still that sort of Raymond Chandler esque noir stoic
1: if Sweet somebody's going to get hired for this, it might as well be him, right? And then he he's further establishing the script, further establishing him as while he's on the he's in a sleazy business, he's a fairly honest guy. He comes right out and says these kind of investigations can be hard on your pocketbook. That
0: is I, that is not even a bad Nicholson impression. I'm
1: pretty impressed. So he's being honest, and yet he's also playing her at the same time. Uh, he says, tells her right to face, I'm going to soak your rich ass for a ton of cash. You will thank me for taking that money. But that's what's kind of awesome because later on it turns out he's the one who's been had.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's also this. In that scene where he's he's <clears throat> hammering home to Mrs. To what we discover is the fake Mrs. Mulray, mm. you don't want this. You don't need this. You don't want the answers, all of that. He gets very uh, Jimmy Stewart in Inherit the Wind. Uh, I think it's sort of right around the eight minute mark. He very clearly by his behavior is the white knight in the room. He is the the man in the white hat in the room.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, that happening is so interesting because he's clearly not like he's, what he doesn't know is he's also being played, but he's doing his job and playing a part.
1: And he... The investigation for Mr. Mulray draws him into Mr. Mulray's world, which is a world all about water. And that's one of the running themes in this movie. Although Los Angeles is basically built on a desert and surrounds uh, tons of water, but it's all sal- salt water, can't mm-hmm. have it. We start right out that he winds up getting involved in this massive conspiracy because he's following Mr. Mulray just to catch Mr. Mulray cheating on, on his wife. Right. So in the backdrop of the movie is a big voting issue uh, to build a new dam. Because L.A. is, quote, dying of thirst, end quote. Um, <clears throat> let's see. And then we're about 15 minutes in, we finally get some of the cheating business. We see Mulray in a boat with a... I wrote down with a dame. With a dame. With, with a dame.
0: He's not with a dame, is he?
1: And that he's in a boat with a dame. He's in a boat with the girl.
0: Oh, oh, right, right, right.
1: Yes. And so now Jake's on top of the world. He has taken pictures of this. It's a big case. He leaks it to the paper. So we find he's not quite as... Right. He's not the Boy Scout. He, he portrayed himself Correct. to be. Correct. He leaks into the papers in specifically so his name will be associated with it so he'll wind up with more business.
0: Right. Which he's pretty. he's a pretty boy there, right? He's absolutely doing that because he feels like he's solved the case. He's mm-hmm. done what he was asked to do. He's mm-hmm. got the high road, even though he might not be taking the high road this very second. And then... That turns out to all blow up in his face.
1: It blows up in his face at nineteen minutes forty seconds. Okay, <laughs> is what it does. Because then the bomb drops. We find out that Evelyn Mulray is not the woman who hired him. Dum dum. What?
0: What?
1: And that's when uh, that's when Faye Dunaway comes in, right? Yes. Yeah. Faye Dunaway is, is classic, Evelyn- classic yeah. scene, asking him secretarian questions and like, have we ever met before? Are you Mr. sure Gittis? we've never met before, Mister? Yeah. It's it's great. I also like how everyone in the na- in the film pronounces his name differently. And then my favorite part of the movie, I'm not going to lie to you. My favorite part of the movie, 22 minutes, 44 seconds. It's Higgins. It's Higgins from Magnum (laughs) PI, the best TV show ever made. Okay. Higgy baby is in there and he is the junior lead of the water department or whatever. And I can't, and then the movie breaks down for me because I can't look at him and think of anything but Higgy baby.
0: Well, that's interesting. I'll detract you from Okay, Higgins, Higgy baby, distract you from Higgins by saying um, one of the things that I find so interesting about this screenplay is it came out at a super interesting, abundant time in American
1: film, and is that what you call the age of
0: oh, the decade dec- of influence, influence? Okay. I, yeah, I and that's a that's a, actually a term that absolutely describes Italian cinema and French and that sort of thing in the fifties and sixties and whatever. And I feel like 1970s and I'm not alone, but is the decade of influence for American cinema. Okay. Um, but 1974 brings us Chinatown that wins for best original screenplay. But tell me how many of these other movies released in 1974, you know, blazing saddles. Oh yeah. Maybe Huge. death wish. Yep. The great Gatsby.
1: Uh, I've never
0: seen it, but you've, You've heard oh, this. Oh, I've heard of right. it. Yes. And then you may or may not have seen but should see the conversation with Gene Hackman. It's fucking brilliant. Never seen it. It's a sort of a psychological thriller. It's fantastic. <laughs> okay. Young Frankenstein, The Longest Yard, The Towering uh, Inferno, oh, The Taking cats. of him 123. Yeah, so I I know I'm I'm drawing this out a little bit, but uh The Godfather Part 2? Okay. Airport The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Uh, Bring bring Me the Head of Alfredo
1: Garcia. It was a big year.
0: Yeah. So my point is, those are movies that you could watch today and the suits might look funny and the ties are too wide, but that story moves you. Mm -hmm. And there's 15 easy that could have won Best Original Screenplay there and... Chinatown beat out that. So going back to your earlier question, if that's confirmation bias, like maybe, but maybe. It, it's coming from all different parts of the cinematic universe as it were. I can't
1: believe Blazing Saddles didn't win best everything. I know, it's right? It's so good. It's so good. Moving on with the movie, at 27 minutes, 10 seconds, again, it's it's so much water in this movie. <laughs> so everything water. about this movie has been about water, the plot, the drive of the target character, the backdrops, etc. And now we start to get into... And 33 minutes and shit's starting to get real. Cause Mo- what's that? Uh, it's, go ahead. I was saying Mulray is dead. How did he die? He drowned in water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's up? Mm-hmm. What's up? Uh, just before that
0: happens and the, the police come because, or the, the uh, Jake Gittes drives up to the reservoir and the the cops come out and Jake's a detective at this point, but he obviously knows the cops on the LAPD. A, a private detective. Yes. Right. He's a private detective. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an interesting moment because when he goes out on that reservoir and he doesn't yet know that his cheating husband case has become a murder case, Mm -hmm. uh, the cops are all in dark. They're like dark gray hats, everything else. And Jake is head to toe in white. Mm -hmm. And so he's the, in this case, he's the man in the white hat. Yeah. Because he's nobly barging in and, and all of a sudden he goes from the lone ranger like the the absolute white knight to the one who totally totally got had
1: and screenplay wise this is why screenplays and, and novels are so different because in this scene we know he has familiarity with the the police detective that the police lieutenant that he's talking to yet we don't find out for another 30 or 40 minutes that they used to be partners together in Chinatown so it's a really slow played now when you're writing a novel if jake is your point of view character and you have him do that scene with that guy and then jake just never thinks that this is my old partner as a reader you kind of feel cheated it's like um what was that gosh darn it That really, really famous book where... Hold on a second. It's The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. In The Da Vinci Code, I know this is a hugely popular novel and millions of people love it and people love Dan Brown's books, but I've never read another Dan Brown book because when I get in The Da Vinci Code, I get to the end to find out the bad guy, the, the big reveal. We've already been in the bad guy's head in an earlier scene and he just had no bad guy thoughts while we were in his head. And I'm like, this is preposterous of course right. he's the bad guy he's going to be thinking something about the bad guy thoughts in a screenplay though you can't get into the character sets you can do this real subtle these two guys know each other how do they know each other right. it's tension there's mystery We're Regret- we know we're probably going to get, you a can on that. get a reveal never get a first person you can't get yeah. you can't get the first person so it's it's a liberate it's a liberating way of telling stories so we're still on the mr mulray being dead at 40 minutes or so we find out there was a dead bum and the dead bum is a big clue because how does a bum drown in a dry riverbed? Exactly. Mm.
0: Well, we, and us mm. find that out, like yep. that's not known. He, you know, he's got that information in his back pocket, which is a thing that this is very, very noir, very Chandler-esque, very, uh, on, uh, ongoingly tribute to that kind of error that this whole movie does so love so well. Okay. Um, but that's one of those things. Like, that's a little, here, keep this in your back pocket. It's going to be important later. And he Gittis, is the character that does that. Like, I'm going to take this information. He's sort of the pro a little bit of of this era of filmmaking.
1: So we're continuing the movie at forty minute, 41 minutes, 33 seconds. Jake is diving deeper into the mystery. And then, no pun intended, he's caught in a wash. He is now literally and figuratively in over his head. Again, in water. But he... It's, yeah, it's, he's out of his element. He doesn't know what's going on. And he, to, to, to emphasize this town shows him actually getting washed down a industrial river bank and and, getting smashed into a chain link fence to show how out of control the world around him has become.
0: Yeah. Well, and the, you know, we had mentioned, touched a little earlier on the fact that he's not exactly the, the, the most, his moral structure is not excessively white hat, you
1: right, know? Right.
0: Um, but at that, at that moment, right before he gets washed out, um, he really does, like he knows Mulray drowned in salt water. Mm-hmm. And that means it's not, the, and, and that he, he knows it is no longer the case he's going to get paid for.
1: Yeah. but he's, and he's probably not know. getting
0: paid, but he's, I, he, part of it may be that he has to know. And part of it is that he sort of struggles with his character, mm-hmm. his moral character, and decides like, well, fuck, I'll try one more time. And that, like you were saying that the, um, the, the echo of the earlier story, Jake's earlier story, mm-hmm. um, comes back in the, in the, just the most heartbreaking way at the end. But at that moment, when he's in the reservoir, he doesn't get, or he he's doesn't, in the, he doesn't the, know the runoff, he doesn't know it's coming.
1: 43 minutes in, and now we're starting to see real, um, uh, these are subtle storytelling strokes for the screenplay, but they're really significant. Up until this minute, Jake has been this dapper guy. He's perfectly dressed. He's handsome. He's rugged. as the mystery gets bigger and more violent, he starts to lose. He loses the good looks. The very thing that, here, let's get this incredibly good-looking man, leading man, and put a movie. And all of a sudden, now, he gets his nose sliced open, and he looks like a clown. He looks ludicrous with this yeah. big bandage over his face.
0: Well, and that's a, it's a pretty salient point you're making. He dissolves that, that sort of chiseled, perfect facade dissolves throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. and he becomes grittier and greasier and his hair is disheveled and his clothes are dirty or bloody or and that continues the whole way. Like you said, the starting with the most obvious um ridiculous bandage that he has to wear in his nose. And then the actual kind of ugly, awful cut. Yeah. That you see you do get to see us. He's getting bad. more disheveled. <laughs> yeah.
1: <clears throat> so uh an hour in, we finally meet John Houston. Who is so, so sleazy. We were talking about this after the movie. He is just, he's so rich and so privileged and so, such a great position. He knows he's going to get what he wants. Just eventually he's going to get it and he doesn't get upset about anything. He doesn't worry about it. He knows he's going to get it, right?
0: Yeah. And he's uh, so incredibly insulated by his status and money that he, he does all this stuff that, well, it could be a different era because this was supposed to be filmed. Uh, this was supposed to take place in 1937, so I will make that caveat. But mm-hmm. he knows Jake Giddis is coming sometime today, and he has his staff make whole fish for mm-hmm. you know two lunches. So not only does he just presume, sure, he'll come out and pay me tribute, he also presumes what Jake will eat. And everything else mm, and I I sort it has that, that has, Yeah. Because that's how, how his whole life works. Whatever he decides is the truth is the truth that day. Yep. And you see that in all these super subtle ways where he's in the California desert and he's clearly not, um, of Mexican descent. Uh-huh. And halfway through that lunch, he stands up to wave at like incoming people on horseback who were Friends or family or something, and he waves and he's got a serape around his waist and was mm, like, "I didn't not notice any-. that either." Yeah, and the, the, wow. this I can be anything I want to be because I
1: I push a big ton of cash around. Yeah. So, an hour in, and uh, this is an example of great dialogue, <clears throat> ma'am. I wonder if you would humor me. Oh uh, I will do the part of the narrator and then I will do uh, Giddies and you do Mr. Cross. Ready? Okay. <laughs> Exterior. Estate porch, day. Private detective Jake Giddies has met businessman Noah Cross at Cross's home for lunch. Giddies has been hired by Cross's daughter, Evelyn, to investigate the murder of her husband, Hollis Mulray. You know
0: you've got a nasty reputation, Mr. Giddies. I like that. Thanks. (laughs) If you were a bank president, it would be one thing. But in your profession, it's admirable. And it's good advertising.
1: It doesn't hurt.
0: It's why you attract a client like my daughter. Probably. But I'm surprised you're still looking for you're still working for her. Unless she's come up with another husband.
1: No, she happens to think the last one was murdered. <laughs> How did she get that idea? I think I gave it to her. So this is
0: why are we doing this?
1: Because <laughs> this I, is brilliant, the, brilliant this, dialogue. The, subtle, this, the subtlety of the dialogue is is so good, and that where Giddy's subtly comes out and informs Cross, Giddy's thinks the guy was murdered. Everybody yeah. else is like, oh, he just drowned. Yeah, Giddy's like, no, I'm letting you. I'm letting you know, Claire Isabel. I'm the one who thinks he's murdered, and I, it's why I'm talking to you now because I think you're involved in it. That is why I thought you wanted us to
0: read that. Why did you let me read? cross then he was that's john houston
1: i know i want you to read john houston
0: i know but he was so amazing and then i made him sound a little bit like that, a crashed,
1: crotchety old man well you're t- i was hoping you would go for the admiral akbar voice i was,
0: I was trying and, but i uh, get my admiral akbar always goes right into murray from brooklyn <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't goes right it. into murray from brooklyn all right so that was a uh, hello uh, you may now at home you may now uh, give us a round of applause for story smack, <laughs> smack theater as we do some live reading of an actual uh, Oscar-winning script, mm-hmm. so uh, an hour and twenty-eight minutes in, finally we get to that amazing, that amazing uh, scene, iconic scene. The bomb gets dropped. Partially, that something is not what it seems between Mulray and the girl. The girl is her sister. We're almost to the big scene, and then at one thirty-eight, realize we're in the classic frame job here. And then one fifty, the bitch slap scene. Mm. The bitch slap scene. Remember, the movie was made in 1974 and it's about. And it's
0: depicting 1937. And
1: it's depicting 1937. When apparently it was totally okay to uh, you know, slap a bitch around if she wasn't. But in 1937, on it absolutely was because your wife was your actual property. So of course it's, it in was. In 37 still? Mm hmm. Holy cats. Um, so she gets slapped around big time and we get the classic crying line. She's my sister and my daughter, and you're like, ooh, this just got yeah. skeezy. Well, this and got he, way skeezy. This is
0: one of the reasons that I think it might not be confirmation bias, and this might be a lovely, 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 lovely script. Uh-huh. It, it 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 descends. I don't want to be so poetic as to say sort of Dante's inferno steps, infernal steps, mm-hmm. but it just gets worse and worse.
1: It does and worse. Yes,
0: literally until the last. Minute of the film it is it is an ever spiraling downward slope, and <clears throat> this is one of those moments you're like, Wait, what? Wait, what wait, wait, yeah, what? yeah, and you then realize you're also as a viewer, you're also Super invested in how this comes out and what and and you're so sort of salaciously interested, which makes it even worse. Like first you were like, Okay, this is enough. There's a fake wife, and then the other one drowned, and it was probably murder. And wait, what?
1: Yeah, now we've got incest and rape and, and illegitimate that, children. And... and
0: at that moment, in that whole thing, you have we have incest, we have rape, we have a child having a child, we have all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you think like well, this is a fucked up
1: movie
0: and it's not even done.
1: You <laughs> no, think that on a
0: sort of a subconscious level. And then the
1: worst part happens later. Mm-hmm. It, it gets back. So, um, we move into one minute 55 and, uh, Rocky's brother or Rocky's brother-in-law who opens up the movie. <laughs> we'll share. Polly who opens up Polly. Polly opens up the movie. And you think it's just, it's a little bit of a hammy scene for Polly in the opening. And you're like, it's one of those scenes Cause you're Jack Nicholson. So good. You're like, Polly's acting. Polys well, acting by chewing on the blinds and all those things, because Jack Nicholson finds out that Polly is the one who's been cheating on, been cheated on by his wife. So now, on I should have seen this coming. I didn't see this coming because now it's so formulaic. That thing you see in the beginning of the movie that you don't think means anything, oh, it actually means something later on in the movie. Yeah. So we think it's just a character establishing scene for Jake, and Polly comes back. And, uh, you know, he turns out he's really important in the script after all, because there's no wasted space in a good screenplay. There's no wasted lines.
0: And it's not only no wasted lines, the The subtext and the background sort of reinforces this idea that families are messy. Mm-hmm. Because Polly is the scorned spouse. And then when we see him later, he's having a family dinner.
1: Yeah. He knows his, what he knows. With his wife with a giant shiner.
0: His wife with a giant shiner, but still having a family dinner, mm-hmm. which is exactly the story that Giddes is about to learn about the mole race, that things are ugly and complicated and really, you know, not tied up with a bow, no matter how you do it. Right. Um, but that, that happens.
1: So at two hours into the movie, we get some, uh, if you follow the screenplay, some scenes of been moon moves around that, duh. The scene that you and I just did, or the Admiral Akbar and I <laughs> yeah, just did. Exactly. That actually in the screenplay comes later, comes much later in the book, sure. all, much later in the movie. But so that's probably an editing decision. They shot all this, everything looked good. And then Polanski and the crew are like, you know what? This scene would be better over here. And it is better because you get to meet Noah Cross. You know there's something off about him, but you don't know what it is. And you think he's involved, you think he's involved in maybe the murder, he's involved in the water conspiracy, he's going to make all this money off all this land. And then, out of nowhere, when you get that he's she's my daughter and my sister, you find out then no across. Okay, he's really bad news. Right. Because he's the daddy.
0: And then when you go back to think about that pastoral, lovely, I have more money than everyone in the universe. Mm-hmm. Lunch that we talked about, oh my God, that's a fucking monster in that white it's a monster.
1: It's yeah. a monster insulated by money and power. So then we finally get to the ending. And it's definitely not a happy ending. The bad guys win. Jake Giddies winds up with Nada. Evelyn Mulray gets dead. And uh, the end changes quite a bit from the script to the shooting, which I will get to, ma'am. Oh, in ten do things you, have... you might not know about Chinatown. How did I know I you don't might know have how you America? went back. So let's go back. So just so that that doesn't get glossed over,
0: if you haven't watched Chinatown and are happy for the spoilers, at in the very last few moments of the movie, Evelyn Mulray, who is literally
1: The only good person in this movie.
0: And has absorbed all of this shit in her life, Mm -hmm. all of this shit in her life to get where she is. Yeah, no, okay, so it's my father and my daughter and my sister and my daughter and my sister. Fine. Mm -hmm. Also, I have to marry my daughter's business or my dad's business partner, so it's all in the family, all that stuff. She's still relatively a good person. Mm -hmm. And what happens to her at the very last moments of the movie? She gets shot in the back, for fuck's sake.
1: Back of the dome. One shot to the back of the skull. What's yeah. up, girl?
0: It's, What's not, up, But not
1: close distance. She got... It just, yeah, it's like a cop trying to shoot out the tires. That's, it, it just, it's, it's, uh, it's such a harsh, harsh ending. So I did mention, I do have things you might not know about Chinatown. And I'd love to know. Here we go. This one is courtesy of Esquire.com. Polanski changed the ending in Robert Town's original script, Evelyn Mulray and her illegitimate daughter get away. Evil Noah cross John Houston is killed, but Polanski would have none of it. According to town, Polanski wanted a tragic ending in which Evelyn is killed. Guess who got his way? Polanski later said to a TV interviewer, if Chinatown had ended happily quote, we wouldn't be sitting around talking about it today. End quote. Um, Number two, John Huston couldn't say his lines right. He kept calling Nicholson's character Mister. Gitz, <laughs> although Polanski knew that was wrong, he liked it and kept it. Number three, Chinatown. This is once in a while. Once in a while, the entertainment gods look down and strike somebody with a lightning bolt, and 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 a gosh, a god gets made. Uh, Chinatown was the first produced screenplay by Town for which he won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. So that was yeah. the first movie of his that actually got made.
0: Yeah. Number well, four. his first, his first attempt and his first movie they got
1: got made. Well, we don't know. If, I don't know if that's his first screenplay because he somebody tried to hire him to do a screenplay. So he had probably had written other things, but this is the first one that actually got made. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, you know, now that I think about it, I may have to look up Town because if this is the first thing that got made, why did he get offered eight hundred seventy five thousand dollars in today's dollars oh. to write The Great Gatsby? That's crazy. So number four, uh, number. Let's see. Yeah, Town convinced. Town conceived of the film as the first part of a trilogy. The second part was 1990s The Two Jakes, and the third, never made because The Two Jakes did so poorly, was going to be called Cloverleaf. It was a trilogy. <laughs> Chinatown, number five. Chinatown was not as successful as you think. The film cost a reasonable $6 million when it was made. According to IMDb, it made $12.4 million when it first released in 74. As of 2014, it's grossed $29.2 million. For a film nominated for 11 Oscars, not so much dough.
0: Well, and I don't know if this is on your list of things, but I'm going to crash in here and say my favorite thing is that Robert Town was, we talked earlier about him saying, sure, I'll, okay, I'll write that. But I'd rather take way less money and write this original screenplay. Mm-hmm. And he was in, sort of inspired uh, by, for the Mulray character, the Hollis Mulray character, uh, by Richard, is it Richard Mulholland? Mm-hmm. Who? Um, yeah, I think who, so. Who Mulholland drive is named after who is a civic engineer and there's not a lot other things that it doesn't align. There's no secret. It's not the right timeline. There's no secret water strategy, any okay. of that. But I kind of love that because if you ever go to Hollywood, like so many people do, like I did after you see it so many times, and then you drive Mulholland drive and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, that's a real, I didn't, of course it's a real person, but I never thought of that before.
1: You don't think about it. Number six, <clears throat> Don't bring up this meeting at a pitch. Don't bring up this movie at a pitch meeting. Screenwriting ace Wesley Strick, who wrote Cape Fear, has said that when he began pitching stories in the mid-80s in Hollywood, he was told by execs to stop referencing Chinatown. It's considered, quote, it's considered a success de esteem, end quote, says Strick, which is another way to say flop. So not so now we understand that this is considered. Okay everybody's reading about this in their screenplay books, so now the right. confirmation bias you think you you like it, you think, okay, well, I agree with what my teachers are saying It's a great screenplay and now this is the epitome of a screenplay, and you start going to pitch meetings to people, so of course, you make some kind of reference to Chinatown to show how knowledgeable you are right and these guys are like, don't mention that fucking oh movie God, one more not time again Jeez, oh, Pete. Number seven, Chinatown is preserved for posterity. In 1991, Chinatown was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry for films that are, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Hmm. Number eight, Polanski didn't want to do the movie at first. When Nicholson told Polanski about script, it meant Polanski's return to Los Angeles. His first instinct was to not do this. Quite understandably, four years later, Polanski's pregnant wife, Sharon Tate, and several of his friends... Who were butchered in L.A. by the Manson family and mm. uh, they, who is still rotting away in prison. Mm. So you, think, you forget about that about Polanski, too. I think I forget about it. Talk about a guy who's huge director, huge controversy, huge tragedy. I mean, there's so much is going on in this dude's life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Number nine the director, excuse me, the director became the writer. According to Polanski, he wrote out the final scene the night before it was shot because he had a falling out with screenwriter town.
0: Yeah. And this is part of that legend, you know, that, that, and, and that, uh, who knows what the truth is because we don't have a daily script. We have Mm -hmm. the original screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is entirely likely that town was like, yeah, that doesn't really play when, when we're showing not writing it doesn't really play right. and it's entirely likely and probably more likely that Roman Polanski said like yeah if it doesn't end in a tragedy it doesn't it doesn't work
1: here's the other thing uh the final one that Polanski insisted on and now this is crazy to think about but in the original script the original script there was no scenes in Chinatown even though the movie's called Chinatown Polanski insisted to be at least one scene there in the original script there wasn't Movie lovers are happy Plansky got his way because the film ends there with one of cinema's most famous lines, forget it, Jake. It's yeah. Chinatown. I
0: mean, and that is as iconic uh, for anybody who is a, I don't know the non-pretentious way to say that, but a film buff, a, a mm-hmm. student of film, whatever that is. Like me, like I, you know, I watched all of Brando's movies in chronological order. That's the kind of movie buff I am, right? Okay. Just for fun. Sure. And for those sure. people, there's the, there's forget it, Jake. Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's, you know, play it again. Yes, There's things like that. There's I love you. I know.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There's all those moments. And this is truly one of them. Like you can see that when anybody who worked on Chinatown, and I mean anybody, dies and they end up in the in memoriam at the Academy Award the following year, it's that scene. Mm -hmm. Because it's that famous. (laughs) And if that was an off the cup cuff daily change that's kind of amazing
1: it's amazing amazing. so those were the things you might not know about chinatown ma'am
0: yes and i i appreciate you know sometimes it's a little hard for me with the whole things we did not know because you know like we talked about during super bad i'm not sure i needed to know more about Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. um that said uh i I'm pretty glad now because there's a lot of
1: things that are involved in storytelling. Yes.
0: And it, you know, some things are cool. Some things are not. Oh, what is your cool thing?
1: Oh yes. We are adding the one cool thing. As I said, the show open, this idea is taken from the script notes podcast, which is hosted by John August and Craig Mazin. I love the podcast. uh, And I love their, their one cool thing. I, they're like, Hey, we do all this thing about screenwriting. Also, we see cool stuff we'd like to share with you, audience. So we are completely ripping them off and adding this to our podcast. Sure. Yes. Uh, And this thing may or may not be involved with storytelling. It can be anything. You know why? Because we go down the escalator. We don't even hold on to the rails. We're that crazy. exactly. Wild. What? Wild. Sometimes we mix chocolate milk and white milk. It gets crazy ooh, up ooh. in here. I had strawberry milk as a kid. Yeah, but you can't mix that with chocolate. It blows up. Ask Richard Pryor. It's a horrible, oh, horrible situation. Okay. My one cool thing is a children's book, of all things. It's called what? a children's book. That's right. And it's not a children's book that I wrote, which would end horribly, but this is called Grandmother Fish by Jonathan Tweet. It is a book to teach children the basic concepts of evolution. Oh, I've
0: read this. I've read this. Yeah. Grandmother
1: Fish is our ancient ancestor. The book walks you through a very basic overview of evolution. Uh, it's got gorgeous illustrations. It
0: really does. It's yeah.
1: very simple. Uh, In its approach, but there are more complex concepts in the back of the book. So I really think that this book can literally grow with your child and give your kids or significant people, significant in your life, a a, grasp, the general concept. And at this time in our, in our country, any level of knowledge of science and acceptance of proven scientific fact is critical, critically important because we're watching crazy shit happen right now because people who didn't get a good science education and were taught that, this, that things aren't real are now being huge decision makers and directing the course of our preach, future. Preach, brother, preach. And what is your one cool thing, ma'am?
0: Uh, so this was you just bring this on me right before we started mm-hmm. recording. Mm-hmm. So I want to play along and I have to say the coolest thing that's happening in my non-story smack, non-empty set life is I'm mainlining the Sandman Slim story. Oh, Richard Cadry stories, yes. Yeah. And you and I know Richard. We've met him at a bunch of cons. We had him on, on our podcast. He, You know, he's a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. He's mm-hmm. a great photographer. The first thing I knew about him was his Instagram feed, which is super great and sexy and fun and cool and sometimes silly and, uh, you know, you can Google image search Richard Cadry and then you can look at his Instagram feed and go like, I mean, I can totally see that, but I totally don't see that. Mm-hmm. It's great. And then he was this lovely guy when we met him and interviewed him. And yep. then I read the first Sandman Slim book and it marinated for a while. And then I was like, well, that was kind of fun. And I'm having a, I need something a little light for my next book. Okay. And that was about two weeks ago. And now I'm up to book nine. Book nine in two weeks. That's insane. It's well, I read one a, a long time ago, and then I read two through nine. Okay. I'm currently on
1: nine. Okay.
0: So if you like, you know, escapist fantasy,
1: I would kinda recommend. Ur- kind of urban fantasy, yeah, would you say? Yeah, it's urban fantasy.
0: It's, it's the gods. All the gods are real. Sandman Slim, the main, the titular character. Uh, Kevin Hearn fans
1: would love this series.
0: Exactly. Kevin Hearn fans would love this series. Anybody who likes Hunter Hunterson would love this series. Um, Yes. And Sandman Slim Jim Butcher
1: is a similar approach.
0: I think maybe even Joe Abercrombie has Mm. a- Well, because I've just started Besser of Cold, and and so the grittiness of the language and the descriptors are the same, even though I think Grimdark is not what this is. No. But that's my one cool (laughs) thing. cool. Cool. So I think that wraps us up for this episode of story smack. You uh, can find Scott and myself online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find this show online at scottsiegler.com slash story smack. We would love to see your comments there. You can always find us on iTunes. Search for Scott Sigler audiobooks and subscribe, and you'll get a, a free audiobook episode every Sunday
1: and Story Smack. And now we're know. doing Alone, which is book three of Generations trilogy. Absolutely, we're on episode yeah. coming up is episode three this week.
0: So that does it for this episode of Story Smack. Thank you so much. This was a big, cool, fun yes, m- wandering into the history of cinema. And it's not even a
1: trap, not at all. <laughs>
0: So this was episode 29 of Story Smack, and we hope you come back. And between now and then, I guess we'll talk to you
1: real soon.